KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. I've known since I was 12, uh, maybe even earlier, that this is what I wanted to do. After my senior year that summer, I got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I had a half a semester left, so I had to still go back to school while having cancer. And then Coach Hogan offered me the job to sit on her bench, and that was like the happiest moment of my life. And our guest this week, Elisa Kintner. She is the head women's basketball coach at Division Three Widener University. She's taken the pride to the NCAA tournament four times. She's the winningest coach in program history. And thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. How good is it to just be back into the grind of a season to be pretty close to normal now <laughs> or as, maybe as close as we're going to get for a while? Absolutely. Well, last year was obviously very difficult for us. We were getting tested four times a week, so we had to kind of put that into play for us with uh, scheduling every day and making sure the girls were on top of it. So it's it's much better this year. I mean, we're playing without masks down there in practice, without masks in games. Um, I feel like we are back to normal at this point. Um, we, uh, we had a little bumps early, I would say, uh, to get back to normal and get them back focused to how many hours it takes during a season. I think that's the biggest hurdle that we've been been fighting this year is they got so much time to themselves last year to get, you know, three or four hours a day from them during the week has been challenging. But, you know, we're fighting through it and we're getting back to normal, which is great for us. Give me your origin story in basketball. Growing up, were you all basketball all the time or were you a played whatever was in season, whatever was going on in the neighborhood, kid? I was played whatever was going on in the neighborhood, kid. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, so we played outside a lot. Um, I had across from me uh, the twins that played at Rutgers, and they were dribbling up and down our, our basketball court or our street every single day. And I was two and a half years old, and I would stand, you know, we're in row homes, and I would sit at the door and watch them. Every day, my mom said I would watch them. And then one day I said, I want to do that. And at three years old, I went out and I dribbled right next to her, up and down, up and down. And ever since then, I fell in love with the game and I did it every single day. And But basketball was not my main sport. I played soccer. I played softball. And uh, I I did pretty well in each sport. To be honest, if you ask my parents, they would tell you, you know, my dad would say softball was my best sport. My my mom would say basketball or soccer was my best sport. And I would tell you that I fell in love with basketball. And that's why I, I chose the basketball route in college. What was it about basketball that you fell in love with? I mean, you talk about, you know, that early mm-hmm. memory. But once you get older and start playing, what was it about the game that you just fell in love with? Yeah, everything about it. Honestly, I loved practice uh, just as much as I loved the game. And I would say in the other sports, that wasn't really the case. And that's why I kind of fell in love with everything about the sport, you know, the film, the the practice, the, you know, the hard work that came with it. Um, I never had the drive like that in the other sports. So it kind of just came natural to me when it was time to pick a sport. I was recruited for all three of those sports coming out of college. And I had higher offers in, in soccer than I did for basketball. But the choice was the love of the game for me. And I don't know if there was anything I could pinpoint and say, this is what I loved about it. I loved everything, all encompassing uh, about the sport. Did you 
consider trying all three in college? <laughs> I mean, was that at some point in the recruiting process? Was that something you were looking at? When I went to Slippery Rock, um, the soccer coach reached out and the softball coach reached out and I said, uh, no, thank you. Then I went to Del Valle and the same thing happened again. And I think at the Division three level, you can play multiple sports, but I want to be the best that I possibly could in basketball. Um, so I chose not to play and play year round for basketball. What was the recruiting process like for you in high school? Well, do you remember much about it or was it just kind of did it? Was it overwhelming or was it just did it just kind of feel like the natural next step progression if I'm going to keep playing sports? Well, for me, it was a little different. I wasn't the best player on my high school team. Um, I went to West Catholic and I had multiple Division One players around me. I mean, Rashano Barnes went to Penn State. Uh, I had another kid that went to East Carolina. Another kid went to Westchester. So I kind of was the bottom level of our high school. Um, I played the point guard position and I'm playing against Kristen Clement, who went to Tennessee that year. You know, I'm all about 5'2 and she's 5'10. And I just, you know, worked and worked and worked. And I had saw Pat Summit in the stands, you know, Reedy Portland in the stands, you know, hoping that they would take a look at me. And I tell you, there was one instant that made me that crushed my basketball dream was I was at Westchester and I love Duke and Duke's women's basketball coach came up to me and said, well, Lisa, if you were six inches taller, I'd be recruiting you. I was all about five foot in high school. I've always been the shortest kid. So it crushed me a little bit. And then, you know, my mom and dad talked to me a little and said, you know, it's not always about heart. It's about giving everything you have. And that's what I continued to do. And I kind of took that personally and said that the size isn't going to matter. And I got a, a scholarship to division two it was a little far, far for me. It didn't, it wasn't the right fit. And I came back home. I loved the uh, coach, coach Rots, which is coach Hogan now at Del Val and, and fell in love with their program. And that's what made me go there. Talk about when you go to college, you spent that first year at Slippery Rock before you went to DelVal. Did the basketball, did, was it a lot of adjustment to the level of basketball going? And I'm guessing talking about the names you played with and played against, it wasn't maybe the jump that it is for a lot of high school kids going to Division Two. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a big jump for me. Um, the speed of the game got a little bit faster, but I have a God-given talent to, to see the floor. Um, and I, I would tell you that it's not something that I've worked on in my career. It's just, I've seen open players my whole life, uh, even with coaching. So I would say the transition of the speed is usually something that people struggle with. I didn't struggle that hard with that because like I said, I had, I had high athletes around me my whole career. So moving from division, you know, from high school to division two, I was playing with division one athletes. So I wouldn't say that. I had trouble adjusting as much as I had trouble adjusting being away from my family six hours away. I think that was my adjustment that I could never accept. My parents were traveling on a Wednesday right after work to come and see my game and then traveling back home. It, it broke my heart. And my parents have always been there and watched every single game. So I don't think it was me struggling at that as a basketball player, but I would say as personally, I struggled with it and I wanted to come back home so my parents could watch me play every day. To back up to your time at West Catholic, how much fun was it just playing high school basketball in Philadelphia? I mean, you mentioned the names, but just the place, the, the teams you played, the rivalry, stuff like that. How much did you love it? I absolutely loved it. You know, growing up in Philadelphia, I grew, you know, grew up in Southwest and, and went to school in West Philadelphia, uh, playing at 
at the level that we played and the people that we played against. I mean, I played against so many athletes that we could name that are still in record books, uh, you know, in our area. It was just, it was amazing. Honestly, I had great coaches in high school and Marine Ward, who I still to this day, she still comes to my games and in the stands and have a great relationship with. Um, so I, I've experienced a lot through high school, not just in college, uh, of the basketball game and the talent around me has been unbelievable. I mean, Philadelphia basketball is one of the best through and through. Did you realize at the time how good the talent was when you were in high school? I mean, because I think at that age, you don't appreciate or you don't have the context. You yeah. just kind of think, well, this is probably how it is everywhere. But in, in the moment where you're like, man, everybody's so good. I don't know in the moment if I recognize that. I tell you, my starstruck moment was when Pat Summit walked into the gym and I was like, oh, I'm playing against this kid that she's recruiting. You know, I was kind of starstruck by it when, you know, she's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. So when she walked in, I was like, wow, she's watching me play too. You know, so it was more of a starstruck moment that these big time coaches were in the gym and actually they weren't there for me, but I acted like they were, <laughs> you know, and maybe gave, I would say that's the biggest thing. You know, it was a starstruck moment. Like, wow, these players around me are great, not just good. You talk about being able to see the floor and I look and your assist numbers in college are bonkers. You still hold conference program records. I think I think you're still third all time in assists per game. Uh, there's a I think so many kids, everybody wants to score. Everybody wants to be the person that everybody's talking about scoring a lot of points. You talked about being able to see the floor. Was there a, a fire to score in you as well? Or were you very, very content to know where the ball should go, how to get it in the right spot and, and make it happen for everyone around you? Not saying you didn't put up points, but mm -hmm. obviously yeah. this was your main focus. Yeah, I love to pass the ball. And I even with coaching now, I love kids that can pass the ball. Uh, kids that are unselfish that will want to get the you know, the basket before giving the pass. Um, I don't relate to as well as the kids that see that pass that ball one more time. You know, uh, for me, I've gotten in trouble my whole life for not scoring, you know, for passing the a wide open layup to make the next person look better. Um, when I was in college, especially at Del Val, Coach Rots would always yell at me, like, can you please shoot the ball? And finally, by my senior year, I did, and it became a thousand point scorer and was averaging 15 a game. So I could do both, but honestly, still to this day, I love the oohs and ahs when you make that pass behind the back for somebody for a layup. So I enjoy, I enjoy the assist a heck of a lot more than I enjoyed scoring, but I could do both. I just uh, prefer, prefer to pass it off. You talk about like your senior year when you, you hit thousand points and you were averaging 15. Did it feel almost unnatural to take a, and I don't want to say offense first because your assist numbers were still through the roof, but to lean on yourself as an offensive weapon more, was that a constant mental fight that I'm open from 15, take the shot. I know what you see, take the shot. Yeah. I think before, you know, seasons players, have personal goals. And my personal goal senior year was to become player of the year and an all American. And my coach sat me down and said, well, you're not going to be able to make it on just assist and you have to score. And in order for us to win at that 
moment. She said that I would have to average about 11 or 12 points a game. So I took that personally and I really worked on my shot. Um, but unfortunately going into my senior year, I had to have knee surgery and that kind of delayed me. But once I got back on that basketball court, it was a whole different situation. I was looking to score before passing and then they just clicked one day. And I would say it was probably two or three games into the season where I was able to do both and, and be happy with how I was playing. I'm curious because I'm sure there were scouts out on you <laughs> with opposing teams like, all right, pass first point guard. We can give a room like, you know, I've, I've seen them. I've, I've heard these scouting reports as they break players down. So how much fun was it to kind of turn that on teams? And all of a sudden you're taking those shots or you're taking that penetration that they've been giving you for a while, but they kind of figured you weren't going to take. Yeah, that's uh, it. It actually made it easy for me. Honestly, <laughs> I never realized how much they were sitting off me, you know? And, and then I watched some more film and that, that was a time where film wasn't as big as it is now. So I watched the VHS tape and, and realized that, wow, they're really keeping me open and I need to shoot the ball. And that's where I, I, I think that moment clicked for me. I, I realized that I saw it on film that they're sitting at the foul line and I could shoot the three every single time down. Um, and that's, I broke the record that year for threes because they want to sit off me because I want the pass first. So I, I kind of just made my game a little bit better that year by saying, Hey, I'm going to shoot the three and going to take what they give me. When you decided to transfer back closer to home, why Del Val was Del Val in the mix for you coming out of high school, or was this a completely new relationship? Yeah. Once you look to, to make the move, it was a completely new relationship. Um, I, I did get several division three looks coming out. Um, but I was looking for something specific and, and a coach, and player relationship is important to me, just as it is important now. Uh, that's why I still talk to her. I thought we had a connection and I could make, you know, Del Val better by, by going there. And, you know, she said that she wouldn't promise me a starting position, which still to this day is something that is important to me. You know, I had a, I had to earn my, my keep there. And some people offered me the starting job and I don't want to be given my position. I want to, you know, work hard for it and, and show people that I, I deserve and earn this spot instead of giving it to me. And that's what coach Hogan did. And that's why I went to Del Val. During this time when you were playing, and I, I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but <laughs> is in the back of your mind, I'm going to coach there. Like, because it just seems like the type of player you were, it screams coach with no context. Like it's just you're, you know, you're executing game plans. You're you're thinking three steps ahead. So did you always have coaching as whenever I'm done playing, that's the next step? That's all I knew um, going to school. Well, I said, isn't there a major for coaching? You know, and they'd say, well, sports management. I'm like, no. I would have to learn how to coach, you know, it, it was always a running joke. I've known since I was 12, uh, maybe even earlier that this is what I wanted to do. Um, and it kind of just happened for me. My senior year, after my senior year that summer, I got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I had a half a semester left. So I had to still go back to school while having cancer. And then Coach Hogan offered me the job to sit on her bench. 
And that was like the happiest moment of my life because I was concerned that I had another half a semester, a semester left to finish that I wouldn't be able to get a coaching job in December, you know, and she offered me to stay on her, her bench, which was awesome. And that's how my career started. And I'm very thankful that she gave me that opportunity. Talk a little bit as much as you're comfortable about, about that diagnosis that can at that young age. I mean, uh, was it something that just showed up? Were you feeling off? You know, where did it come from? Well, I've had, I had a tumor more than halfway across my chest and I was running in the summer. I was on vacation with my parents and it just wasn't right. Something wasn't right. And then in the middle of the night, I got this sharp shooting pain, couldn't breathe. Um, and they sent me home, sent me to the hospital. You know, we all went to the hospital and they said, you need to go home immediately. And, and that they see something across my chest. You know, I'm a positive type person. So in the car, I was joking around, like, it's not a tumor. You know, my mom did not find that funny. My dad laughed, um, but <laughs> my mom did not find that funny. We went home, you know, they told me that I punctured my lung, the tumor punctured my lung. That's how I found it. Um, and very soon it would have been around my heart. So I was very lucky, honestly, that I was still going out and trying to stay in shape. And that's how they found it. And I went through chemo. I went through radiation. You know, I lost my hair at 21, which was very difficult for me, I would say. That was the biggest, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, wow, chemo and things. Being 21 and losing your hair and trying to continue your social life was very difficult. Uh, I had great support from my family, my my friends. You know, um, it was great that way. It was just difficult as far as mentality and, and my mental health. Um, I struggled, but I had so much support. You know, fundraisers and things like that that really kept me positive. And the way I beat cancer was I never ever thought once that cancer was going to beat me. And I think that was a mentality of a 21 year old. I don't know if I'd have that same mentality now, you know, but I could tell you, I, I felt like I was untouchable at that moment. And that's the reason I think I beat it. Um, again, a lot of support around me helped me, but it was a challenging time. And I think I faced it straight on and, and worked my way through it. And here I am. Did it change you at all as a person? Um, I don't think it changed me as a person then. I think it changed me as a person now, you know, to sit back and think everything that I've been through. I think it has allowed me to realize that every day is a blessing and that I live every day with my kids that there may not be a next day because if you're 21 and can't have cancer, what can you have at the age I am now? You know, um, so I think it has changed me in my older age than it did in my younger age. Do you remember after all the treatment, the chemo and everything, the the day you got the all clear? And what was that like? I tell you, the struggle is, you know, they say when something bad happens to you that you forget most of it. That is what has happened to me. I don't remember the process so clearly through that year. Um, I remember the radiation more than the chemo because I was back in school and I could do that by myself. But the chemo was, you know, every couple of weeks, you know, eight hours a day, you felt like crap. Um, that was pretty much the only thing that I remember. I don't remember the day. My parents remember the day. <laughs> I'm uh, 20 years clean. Um, so they remember that day. That that day is not that clear to me. They they didn't have that bell when I was going through it. <laughs> so you you talk December, you start coaching at DelVal. Um, just kind of one of the things I'm always curious about when 
players go right basically from you know being a player to being a coach, let alone being a coach at your alma mater? Was it difficult? You're one of the key people in the locker room, and then you're in a position of authority, and I'm assuming you're still playing with a lot of players slash friends slash teammates that you were joking around with and that dynamic changes. How difficult was that to make that move? Well, I think the the most difficult part about it was the off the court situation where, you know, you can't hang out with them and be the friends that you were just, you know, five, four months ago. Um, I think that was the hardest part, the on court. I was always kind of, I had the leadership skills to be able to, you know, communicate in a positive way with them. So that didn't change for the following year, but I think the off court of being able to hang out. I mean, I was in Lauren Snyder's wedding, you know, the couple of years after, and she was a year younger than me. So I would say that the biggest part was off the court and, you know, sharing those moments that we always had and joking around and things like that. That's the part that I struggled with the most. How long did it take until you kind of found a a pace or did you kind of have to, I mean, uh, you were there two years, I think, before you went to Widener. Did you kind of have to wait till a lot of kids graduated out and, or when you went went to Widener and all of a sudden it was kind of, you know, I don't have that previous relationship. Yeah, I would say it it, it took me the whole time, the whole career there at DelVal because I, I knew and I hung out with all of them. I would say by the time I got to Widener is when, you know, it stopped. It never stopped really as a, as a coach from being a player that it was very difficult. So what do you learn those first couple of years as an assistant? You know, Mm -hmm. uh, was it about what you thought? Were there things where you were like, Oh man, I never thought of it from this standpoint. You know, uh, what was that experience like kind of becoming a coach? Yeah. You really think that being a coach is all about being on the hardwood and, you know, what you do every day out there. And those little things that while you're in the office as a player, you don't know about. So they were the things that I found out, you know, uh, parents and academics and financial and things like that, that I didn't knew. I knew nothing about. Um, I found out quickly how hard it was that off the basketball court as it was on the basketball court and trying to win. Was there a point where you're like, oh, man, I just want to I just want to run drills and, you know, run sets and stuff. Did it do obviously didn't turn you off, but did it give you any moments of pause? Like, boy, this is a lot of stuff that I really don't want to have to deal with if I'm going to do this. Or did you quickly just kind of, uh, you know, go through it as this is just part of the grind? There was a a quick moment of thinking, well, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And then I remembered I didn't want to sit in a cubicle either. So I would say it was a quick moment of, all right, you got to deal with this other stuff. Um, But I never want to go sit in a cubicle. I never really want to teach, um, which my my degree was in. Uh, I just wanted to build relationships. And I still, to this day, you know, after 19 years, would say the same thing. The off the court stuff is way harder than the on the court stuff. Um, so I would say maybe for a quick second, I thought about it, but then I realized this is what I want to do for life. So you're there for a couple of years as an assistant and then Widener head coaching job comes open. Mm -hmm. Was this something you looked at and thought this would be good for me? Did somebody approach you and say, Hey, have you thought about this? How does it, you know, (laughs) how does it happen? 
So I was 23 years old and the job opened three days before the season because Chris Day went to St. Joe's. And I was like, wow, they're probably going to have to hire a young kid because pretty much everybody's set, you know, it's October. So I said, I'm going to go for this job. I, I tried to use as many connections as I possibly can. Uh, and I got interviewed and I just was hoping and praying and I got it. And, and I thank Dave Duda, who is, you know, now at my alma mater as the athletic director. Uh, he is the one that hired me here. And, and I thank thank him every day for giving me the opportunity because I was only a couple of years older than these kids. So it was, you know, it wasn't as easy my first year. We had success, but it was not so simple. Yeah. I mean, what's that like? I mean, not, not just to get hired at 23, but get hired by 23 and you're already into the preseason. Like by the time you sign the papers and, you know, sign up for benefits, like what's that, what's that yeah. like? Well, I think they judged me as players as being so young and, and you know, I had to be the hardest, probably the hardest year that I've ever coached because I had to be so disciplined to them because I was only a couple years younger than or older than them. So I think the biggest part was just making sure that they respected me and didn't disrespect me throughout the process. And I think as the year went on, we started to win. I mean, we went to the championship and won it my first year, which has never happened here at Widener. So I think they gave me the respect because we were winning, which made it a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Does the success feel natural? Does it just have kind of a, you know, well, this is how it's supposed to work. We work hard and, you know, we go out there and we take care of business. I mean, we're, did you, did you have that? for lack of a better term, that arrogance of a young coach that, hey, this is how it goes. I know what I'm doing. This is great. Yeah, you think after you win it your first year, oh, this is going to be so easy. We'll just continue to do that. I won it one other time since then. So <laughs> it, it, it did seem very easy in the beginning. Um, then as I realized, as I continued to go, that that was, you know, something that's very difficult to do and still difficult to do. Um, you know, we've been to the NCAA tournament several times, but not because we won championships and within, you know, this conference, you always have to go through Messiah. And now with New York coming in, you gotta go through York. Um, it's never easy. So I just hope that we continue to practice hard and, and give everything, you know, I'm a gritty type coach and I want my players to play with grit. And I think we do that. And I always say, you know, hard work will always beat out talent any day and, you know, we've had the opportunity to win championships and get to the NCAA tournament and go to lead eight and things like that. And I can sit here and say it's all because of hard work. You know, those past players build a culture around here and it continues to this day. So I wouldn't say that I would I was arrogant after the first year because I was humbled by the second year <laughs> pretty quickly. Time for a break on one on one. We will have more with Widener head women's basketball coach Elisa Kintner right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week on one-on-one, Widener head women's basketball coach, Elisa Kintner. What was the big lessons you learned, let's say, in that second year? You know, what, what kind of, besides the wins and losses, but what kind of smacks you in the face about the day-to-day -day and the pitfalls and, and all that of coaching? I know you, didn't, you said not about winning and losing, but winning fixes everything. <laughs> I say it still to this day. You know, if your team's winning, there's not many complaints. Uh, when your team's losing, it it comes out, <laughs> you know, from players to coaches to parents to, you know, 
colleagues and everything, you know, what's happening. So I would say winning masks everything (laughs) and it still does. You mentioned winning the championship NCAA tournament. Uh, You've got four NCAA tournament appearances to your credit. I'm curious, do they hit differently depending upon the circumstances, the group you have, if it's a group that maybe overachieved a little, or if it's a younger, you know, or if it's an older group that it was their turn and they were just ready. Does stuff like that, does it hit differently depending on the circumstances? hundred percent. You know, I've had the, the team not so talented that won a championship and, and went to the NCAA tournament just on hard work. And I've had the kids that have worked their butt off to be good and became better as the years went on. And I would a hundred percent say it hit different every single time. Um, you know, 2013, which is one of the best teams ever. They had talent. They had hard work. They had, they had all encompassing everything. You know, that team was great to me um, and, and worked hard to get to where they were. And then in 2021, they come out or, or 2020, sorry, look, my pandemics messed me up. Um, they come out, they waited their turn and they got better every single year. And to me, they were just as good as that 2013 team. Maybe, you know, numbers didn't match, but man, when we went to the NCAA tournament, I thought we could do some, some special things here. So I would say every time it was, you know, you you love each team very differently for what they do and what they don't do. You mentioned that 2013, that's the group that goes to the Elite Eight. I think you finished 24 and 6 that year. What are your favorite memories of that group? Uh, And I'm going to guess it even goes beyond wins and celebrations. Yeah, we had a great following from the parents that I've ever seen. They got a bus to go all the way to Amherst, you know, a seven hour drive. They showed up. And there was that hot chant then, you know, I believe that we will win. Well, they got off that bus and they were chanting, I believe that we will win. My players went crazy and I saw it in their eyes. I said, we're going to win, you know, and here we are in the sweet 16 against our conference foe of Messiah at Amherst on a you know neutral court. And I saw it in their eyes that we were going to win. And I say to this day, those parents were our sixth man that day. And, and they got us through that game. Not just those players, everybody in that gym made it special that weekend. It was awesome. Does your, I talk about how winning hits depending on the group. Does your coaching approach change depending on what you have? Are you different with younger kids than you are with older kids? Stuff like that. Do you have to alter how you 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 go after the job depending upon the group that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, the biggest part about this job is learning the personalities of each kid and how to coach them. Um, and it changes year by year and gets a little bit more difficult, I feel, every year uh, to be able to connect with them. You know, the reason I do this is I love to have connections and love to be part of their family when they're part of my family. And when they leave, I like for us to stay in touch, you know, go to weddings and go, go to, you know, the birth of their kid and the things like that. It's been great that way. Um, I would say for the feeling of coaching each kid and their personalities 
is, is something that I enjoy. And I don't know a lot of coaches that enjoy it because you have to change each, each year. When I coach my young kids, especially this year, I have eight seniors. So my first year students right now, student athletes, I am a little bit harder on than my seniors because they've been going through the process for four years. They should be able to do it with their eyes closed. You know, I just give a look and they'll be like, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. You know, where the the first year student looks at me and says, what I do wrong, you know? So I would say I coach my younger kids a lot more than I do coach my older kids because I expect them to be able to understand the system and be another coach out there to help with the younger kids. How long did it take you as a head coach? And we talked, uh, you went to the NCAA tournament the first year, so there was obviously a level of comfort, but how long do you feel it took till you really hit your stride where you felt in control of all the aspects of what it took to be a successful head coach? I think it took me seven years. That's how long. I think until I got to that 2009 group that won the championship, that was the first time I could say that I felt that I'm starting to figure it out. You know, uh, I think that's due to being young. I was about 30 when this happened and realized, all right, this is how it's done. This is how you do the off court, the on court. I think that was about, it took that long for me to realize how to do it the correct way. What was like the last piece of the puzzle? Do you, was there one thing that it took that kind of was that last hurdle you had to get over till to, you could finally kind of exhale and, and I don't want to say feel at peace, like, but, (laughs) but, but like that. All right. I, you know, I mean, there's going to be challenges on opponents and stuff like that, but I've got this landscape. I really think it was the age. When I became 30, I was older than them. And now they respected me a little bit different than, you know, she's just a kid. You know, we would get off buses and go into restaurants and I was just one of the players. They wouldn't even talk to me. And I'm like, hey, I'm the head coach. You know, Uh, I think when I became 30, that is when everything changed. And they looked at me more as a coach than just not a couple of years older than them. Uh, my point guard, especially then, and Lindsay Eisler, who's now on my staff, really made me realize that in the connection there is more important sometimes than wins and losses. And that's the day that I realized, hey, we're pretty good here, but the connection there was just as important. How has recruiting changed over your career? Um, as just someone on the outside, it seems like a completely different world with the information that's available. That's I'm sure a good thing, if not overwhelming at times, but on the other side, you have social media and a lot of potential for disaster there with high school age kids. Uh, How has the the world of recruiting changed during your coaching career? A lot. (laughs) Like you said, you can watch a kid on social media in five minutes and know whether you want them. They send huddle. They send things through email. You know, we're still going out and seeing people in person. Honestly, that is just for face value only. See that Widener is there. I don't even need to be on the road anymore. You can do everything by just a click of a button, which is crazy to me because we were getting VHS tapes when we first started of recruits. And now I pull my phone out and in 30 seconds, I know whether I want this player or whether I don't. Um, So to me, I'm getting a lot more views of of players than we ever had. You know, we would have 150 people on the list 
And 15 years ago, we probably had 15 people on our list, you know, so in this area is difficult to recruit because there's so many division three colleges, you know, you go to a Wisconsin or something like that. There's not many, many D three schools. So you're not competing as much for us. We're competing against local schools all the time. So, you know, if you're recruiting one, I guarantee it in the local area, Val, Arcadia, Eastern, Cabrini, they're all recruiting the same kid. For me, we really go after certain majors, nursing being one here at Widener. So it helps to be able to see that when they send their resume to us, it's not just about who the kid is and where they're from. I need to know their major because we want to see, you know, if they're a nursing major, I will win over local areas here because we're, we're doing clinicals at CHOP and, and Chester Crozier and DuPont and things like that. So recruiting as far as social media and email and things have been a lot more fun for me. I have a, a family now. I have a three and six year old at home and a husband at home. So I'm not on the road nearly as much as I used to be. So I do enjoy that. How long did it take you? Or I guess my question is you talked about earlier the type of player you were and how you loved kids that passed the ball and stuff like that. Do you need an assistant or somebody in your ear sometimes like that maybe you don't give a score? enough credit because they don't pass the ball and they need, Hey, uh, they're putting in 24. We can use them. We'll, we'll find a way. Do you, do you ever have that? I actually have it right now. <laughs> I say it all the time is can, you know, did I create that? They want to pass so much, <laughs> you know, cause we're having, we're having a little bit problems with turnovers right now because we're passing too much, you know? So I think I created that honestly. So that one's on the coach. I would like to see my team get a little bit more selfish and, and be able to score a little bit more. I want to shoot the ball like 60 or 70 times. I love the pass. Somebody's got to score for us. So um, I do find that sometimes in practice and I have assistants that get on me like, Hey, got to get that kid the ball more, let her score, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. So it does happen, but that's why I put great assistants around me to make sure that we're all diverse and they can all tell me, you know, one's a scorer, one's a post coach, one, you know, it, it's been great. And a couple, both two of my guard coaches played for me. So it helps. They know the system and they know what we really need to be able to score. If I told you when you took the Widener job that in the year 2021, <laughs> you'd still be there and thriving, would you have believed it? Did you look at it as a job that you would be long-term or was it just, this is a chance to be a head coach and we'll go from there? I thought this was my stepping stone. I always, uh, I did inspire to be a, aspire to be a division one coach. And honestly, once I got here, I didn't want to leave. They kept me here. Um, I have a, a neighbor across the way, Fred Dorman, who I said, he said, how long are you going to be here? It was like the first week of work. I said, three years tops. Here I am on year 19 and we still joke about it because he's still here. Um, and it's just a great place for me. It's a great place because my family's close, which I told you before, that's really important to me. Um, and it's a place that I know well of the area of recruiting. You know, I'm a Philly kid, so I recruit the PCL and I'm constantly in contact with coaches who were there still when I was there. So it helps a little bit as far as recruiting to be a local kid and people know me. So for me, this is a place I'm going to retire at. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. What is your favorite aspect of the job? And when I say that, you know, you relationships, game day, mm -hmm. is it 
those final moments when you're about to win a big game and it's obvious you're going to win and just soaking that in. If you had to kind of put it on the top of a depth chart, what what's your favorite part of what you do? Game day. A lot and a lot of coaches don't say that, believe it or not. A lot of them love practice. Not for me. I love the butterflies in the stomach. I love that leg twitching prior to the game because of your nervous. And when that ball goes up, I love that feeling of just, you know, I feel like I'm playing. There's times I'm sweating through shirts like I played because I walked up and down the sideline so many times or yelled at an official so hard that, you know, I feel like I'm involved. I love game day and I love to see what they produce on the court and, and apply from, from practice. That's without a doubt my favorite part. It's amazing to me when you talk about the time that you've, you know, since you left Del Valda now, women's basketball as a whole has just exploded at every level from a participation standpoint, a media standpoint, fan base standpoint. What's it been like to kind of see this? evolve at it over not that long a time yeah to me it's great women in sports it, it is important it's important to to all of us and it's important to me I have two young girls and I love I they're in everything they play soccer they play basketball um I think being part of a team is extremely important for women and girls to develop and learn leadership which I think is important and not be a follower and make decisions for themselves. So seeing the game of basketball explode like this is very exciting for me. Um, and I think most importantly, you know, because I have kids and I have girls that are going to grow up in it. And I know that there's something there for them. There was no WNBA for me to aspire to be or want to be. Now, you know, they're looking at a local star in Elena Deladon around here to aspire to be like, and, and, I think she's a great role model right now. And to me, that's most important is making sure these younger girls know that you can be whatever you want to be and, and be great at it. And my final question, we talked about beating cancer. We talked about your career. This point in your life, what are you most proud of? My family. Um, I have two little girls and a husband. You know, I couldn't do it without him. Uh, every day, you know, we have four to six, six to eight practice. He's bringing them to the games and then bringing them home and putting them to bed so they can get up for school the next morning. Um, I'm most proud of being a family woman um, and, and giving everything I have at my job as well as to my family. Because the biggest thing I would say is during the season, my family here is just as important as my family at home. And I make sure that those two worlds collide and they babysit my kids. And, you know, it's it's important for me that everybody knows everybody and we love each other as a family because that's how you win. And that's how relationships are, come together. And that's how you stay in, in people's lives in the future, because it's all not all about wins and losses. Sometimes it's all about relationships and the, the way you connect is the love of the game. And then you exceed that afterwards. And that's what I love the most. Alisa Kentner, thanks so much for the time. This was great. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. 
And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Widener Head Women's Basketball Coach Elisa Kintner for being our guest this week. Now, if you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks so much for listening. This will be our final episode of the twenty twenty one calendar year. Really appreciate your support, and we will be back in twenty twenty two with more conversations with people you should know more about.